Let's go live. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, yeah, man, how you doing? Dan Boom swings and launches one to deep right center field. Valade going back. It's up there. It's out there. And it's gone. A home run. Anthony Bamboo with a three-run blast. And the Bees take the lead at 10 to 8. The Rojas crutches one to right field. Forget about it. Bikina turns around and watch it land over the berm. It's a two-run homer for Jose Rojas, and the Bees take a two-to-nothing lead. Well, it should help him a bunch, but Charlie Brewer has really, ever since he set foot on campus, has been studying nonstop, and so I would assume that that gap is closed. It appears to be closed and, and almost even as far as command of the offense. We're ready to play. <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but we're ready to play. I'll put it that way. We've made improvements each year. I think we've gotten better each year. Last year was, you know, a disappointing end to it, but all the strides we've made along the way allow us to come into this season still chasing that, that championship, that, that ultimate goal, and, and something that is truly attainable, something that we can, we can, we can grasp. We're right there. We're knocking on the door. Welcome into the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope you all are doing fantastic out there wherever you might be up and down the Wasatch Front or even tuning in via our live stream on our app or online at 1280thezone.com. Fun Saturday. It's back. Crazy these weeks kind of just fly by, but uh, Jay Catch along for the ride. Eric Jensen along for the ride as well. Lundy is in Destinations Unknown, if I'm not mistaken, Eric. Well, I know where he is. Oh, you know where he's at. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's, uh, he's in California seeing a ska show of some sort. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Well, as a noted fan of ska. As a noted fan of ska. Yes, indeed. No, right. I, I feel like this is kind of it this week. This week's like the way I see it. This is the end of the offseason this week. Probably this good. Week, this uh, week yeah. because like you kind of get your vacations in order i'm gonna go see the bees tonight and tomorrow okay that that's gonna be a little bit of fun but i think from here on out until we die uh we will be all together on uh on saturdays you me and alex from here until at least the end of the football season yeah sure appears that way so we're gonna have some fun with this it's gonna be a fun show today we're going to have a lot of fall camp audio for you guys. You'll hear uh, from BYU hopefully live. They'll be doing their media sessions via Zoom. We'll carry some of that live if at all possible. Uh, also hoping to hear a little bit from Utah camp as well. Our good friend Brian Brown. And Brian Brown will be hopefully joining us at some point during today's show. So we'll talk uh, with him about Utah fall camp. He, of course, uh, helps host the Locked on Utes podcast and uh, a good friend just overall. He's been working with the station for a time and now doing other things, but still very much associated with us here, so we'll have some fun. But, Eric, how are you, my friend? You know, I'm doing good. Uh, it feels good. You know, football's back. I mean, look at this. Justin Fields is stepping onto the field for the Chicago <laughs> Bears. That's that's a big deal out there in Chicago. But Premier League is back today. I, you know, mm-hmm. when I am sitting here, you know, just making sure nothing catches on fire in the mornings. I like to 
Braun a little Premier League. Our sweet American boy, Christian Pulisic, mm-hmm. scored a nice little goal for Chelsea today. That was good. Liverpool currently up uh, 3 nothing. It's just lots going on right now, and it's a little bit quiet in, in the American market right now, but it's about to like explode in the next two weeks. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that point. And, of course, we will get uh, back to the Premier League. We'll talk about Saki a little bit later on and maybe more soccer-heavy and yeah, hockey heavy definitely. this week, but we'll get to that as well throughout today's show. So there's plenty to get to, and that's the fun part about this show is we just kind of roll through and talk about all things that are going on in sports. We'll talk about the Utah Jazz Summer League, which, stunningly enough, they're absolutely getting it done down there in Las Vegas. So just a lot to get to ahead on today's show. So why don't we fire it up and get to our opening staple of this show, and we're calling it, for the time being, if you guys have suggestions for this, because... We are a fan-driven show. I think we can acknowledge that. But we want your guys to suggest that. I've decided to call this, What's the Big Deal? And kind of the big topics of what we're going to discuss on today's show. So let's get it fired up and talk about, well, what's the big deal? Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. (laughs) What a clip, man. What a clip from Anchorman. Well done, Eric, on pulling that. I know you said that when we were going to start up this segment. But yeah, what's going on? What's the big deal? And, of course, Ron Burgundy epitomizes what this segment is all about. Uh, Two topics to talk about on today's show. Let's start off with the college football side of things. And Eric, I know that you are traditionally more of an NFL guy. And when you first started working for the station, you were very heavily uh, NFL. Weren't necessarily as engrossed in the college game. But as you've worked here, you've become more and more in the know with regards, to, at least to the local college football programs, BYU, Utah, Utah State, Weber State to a degree. So you have been obviously tracking fall camps like we all have for the better part of two weeks now. What have been your initial impressions? We'll start up on the hill at Utah. What's been your impressions out of Utah fall camp so far? Well, I think my initial impression is that I feel like it's sort of good that we haven't heard about anything but the quarterback battle. I feel like that's been a majority of the discussion, and I honestly wanted to come to you with that. I just think that so much of football, obviously the quarterback position is important, but I feel like the way these camps have been covered, it's so focused right now heavily on these quarterback competitions at BYU and at Utah. And I think the fact that we are only really hearing about those two topics is good because that means that these coaching staffs, you know, and the local media as a whole and people who are in the know believe that these rosters outside of the quarterbacks are are pretty much set and ready to go. So I I just wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. in, in return, what do you think the biggest story is right now out of Utah or BYU or both um, that doesn't involve quarterbacks? 
Well, I want to get something across to people. I think we've discussed this on this show in the past, but if we haven't, uh, let's pull back the curtain a little bit on what coaches use media sessions for. And uh, we'll school you to the game a little bit here to steal a phrase from Alema Harrington, but what it is is when coaches speak to the media, sure, they're addressing the questions that media are asking, but by and large, the answers they are giving – they are using the media as a mouthpiece to get to their players. Position coaches, coordinators, head coaches, that is what they use it for. So the funny thing is, is on day one of camp, I guess for Utah, we're going back, Kyle Whittingham made a statement in essence that said he feels that the the just kind of the overall feel of his 2021 squad, and this was very early on in camp, as I mentioned, very early on, day one or two, if I'm not mistaken, he said it has very much a 2019 feel to it. Now, the 2019 Utah Utes made it a run to the Pac-12 championship game, and they uh, obviously were very, very good that year. It didn't finish off the way you would have hoped, obviously, with that loss uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. But the 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 fact that Kyle Whittingham was as apt to say what he said on day one or two, I'm failing to remember if it was day one or two of fall camp for Utah to make that statement saying it felt like 2019, I think indicates kind of what you're saying here, Eric. He really feels like a lot of the questions that people may have had about this squad, speaking of the Utah Utes, have been answered. And he feels confident that this team is going to do something that – Maybe win a Pac-12 South Division title. Make, maybe make another run towards the Pac-12 championship game. And obviously, winning that Pac-12 title has kind of been the one elusive thing that Utah has not been able to accomplish to this point. So, I actually like what you brought up. Yeah, the quarterback battle obviously has been taking center stage. Anytime quarterbacks are battling to become the guy, and we have Cam Rising versus Charlie Brewer up there at Utah, that's going to steal the headlines. But I also kind of like your point that a lot of the other storylines that you felt like may emerge have not emerged, which kind of indicate that, yeah, they they feel pretty set, I think, outside of that quarterback position. Yeah, and if you look kind of transitioning to BYU, mm-hmm. you look at – what's come out of there is I think the number one thing I've taken away from what you know people on this station have said from what the coaches have said is there is real optimism around that team right now like legitimate optimism that the nation may look at them and say you've lost so much you aren't going to be able to keep up with this schedule you there it's such a tall task replacing Zach Wilson and sure that's true Mm -hmm. but it feels like the coaching staff there, Aaron Roderick, Kalani Sataki, it feels like they are confident that their roster has the quality of talent that they might not take as big a step back as we thought they would. And one thing, I I was listening to another podcast and talking with some people this week, and everybody points at the schedule and they say, look at all the P5 games. Well, if you look closely, these are winnable games. Like, sure. Utah, I know. They haven't beaten them in 1,200 years. Hashtag 10 is coming. We get that. <laughs> but, one, that game's at home. Sure. That means that's a winnable game. Baylor, okay. that's a winnable game. They were down last year. They mm-hmm. were not that good. ASU, also a home game. The fact that that's a home game in Provo, that's a winnable game. Arizona, a team totally rebuilding who is expected to be absolutely terrible this year. That should be considered in 
easy win for this BYU team. Virginia, not that like a solid program, but they're never they aren't a, a threatening P five school. Like you, you can beat Virginia, and then Wazoo's going through a rebuild. Yeah, like they are. you can win almost every out of conference. Every well, P five BYU doesn't have right, a conference. Right, right. So. I know, I know. I, <laughs> it's all non conference. I made a mistake. It's okay. Um, but you can win almost every you know non P five game you have, and then you look at the G five schedule, and Boise has lost their head coach, mm-hmm. and is a program where it's a good program historically, but there might be a little bit of a flux this year. Well, the recent the recent run BYU's been the dominant team in that right. series, and Utah State is down right now. Sure, like you you can easily see this team getting to eight wins just like that. I mean, if if things break right, and even if you lose to Utah, you can still come out and have a great season. I really, I was a little bit skeptical going into the year, but hearing what they've said about camp, and especially what they've said about the secondary um, for BYU, I, I, I'm very confident that they are going to be a good team this year. We'll see, and the proof is always going to be in the pudding. Obviously, we are... What are we now? Two weeks away from college football beginning, three weeks away from BYU and Arizona getting going. We are 19 days away from the Utes and Weaver State squaring off up there at the newly renovated Rice-Eccles Stadium. I guess the South End's been renovated. The rest of it's essentially stayed the same. But regardless, it's on its way, and we will finally get to see them on the field. But I I, I like what you're saying there, Eric, is because BYU, and I've said this before on this show, I know uh, PK has made this point, is that BYU was actually going to be judged on two seasons this fall. They are going to, based on how they perform here in 2021, they're going to be judged on that in addition to the 2020 season because there were a lot of naysayers out there, a lot of quote-unquote haters out there who said that BYU wasn't as good as they showed a year ago and that Zach Wilson is a little bit of a fraud, blah, 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 blah. All you, you guys know what the arguments that have been made. So based on how BYU performs this season in 2021, people will either say that 2020 was a good year for BYU based on how the Cougars perform. If they win eight, nine games, as you mentioned, or if they fall on their face and finish six and six and you say, ha, see, Shoja, you guys, you guys are a fraud. So very interesting situation that we will have to watch play out throughout this year. But I like your confidence. I have been a big uh, proponent of BYU. I know they, they lost the 12 guys that went to the NFL and we're watching an NFL preseason game here and, on the Chicago Bears, for example, Kyrus Tonga from BYU is part of that 2020 team. He's their nose tackle for the Bears out there in the Windy City. They lost a lot of talent off last year's team, but everything I've been hearing out of fall camp for BYU from their coaches and players is that they actually feel like they are well-positioned to essentially just reload and not have to rebuild in 2021. Will that be the case? Is that them just uh, blowing smoke up everybody's skirt? Who knows? But the good news is I think there's confidence in Provo, as you mentioned, Eric. So very interesting storylines coming out of both BYU and Utah. But we do need to talk about one other topic here, and let's transition and talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz. Well done, sir. I like that. You like air raid sirens? I know that like they're triggering for some folks, obviously in the military, etc. But I do think it's a good transition. Well, that's a... Uh... Tornado warning. Tornado warning. Okay. Well, I've actually experienced those in person. Those can be a little scary. But none, all the same, let's talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz. Their summer league team, if you haven't been paying attention, is absolutely rolling right now. 
They are 3-0 and down there in the Las Vegas Summer League. And the Summer League is an interesting thing to me, Eric. I don't know how much you pay attention to the Summer League. But the fun part is, is the Utah Jazz, you're seeing a lot of guys who we expect as Jazz fans or Jazz media this year to be part of the rotation. Maybe not key parts of the rotation, but part of the rotation nonetheless in the 2021-2022 season. They're applying their trade and showing what they can do in the summer league. And I think it should lead to some people thinking, okay, there's a decent opportunity for guys like a Jarrell Brantley. Trent Forrest in particular, he's had a really, really good summer league to this point. And obviously he saw some extensive playing time at points last year due to the injuries the Jazz had along their guard line. There are a lot of guys on this roster who I think are going to be part of the Jazz rotation this coming season. And the good news is if you're watching Summer League, they're actually playing very well against their level of competition. We all know that the Summer League is made up of rookies who were just drafted in the NBA draft, guys in their first or second year by and large in the league trying to find their spot, and also guys coming back from playing overseas in previous years trying to find their way into the NBA. So there's a big collection of talent down there in Las Vegas. But the good news is the Jazz are absolutely standing out right now. And So, Eric, what should we make of the Jazz being 3-0 and in Las Vegas, in your opinion? Is it, a, is it a big deal to you, or do you care whatsoever? Well, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say I don't care whatsoever. Okay. Um, I think that summer league basketball is much like preseason football. Yeah. You watch. I watch preseason football because I like to get a handle on how the rookies look going into the season and how these first and second year players who are still getting reps are developing throughout. To me, the thing that I take away the most is Yudoka Azubuki, I think, can give the Jazz a different look, which I think will be helpful. Because for as good as Rudy Gobert is as a defender, he just has not progressed as an offensive player that much. Like, he, he's solid. He makes a lot of the attempts he takes, but he's not nearly aggressive enough, in my opinion. Whereas Yudoka Azubuki is, and he's not as great of a defender as Rudy Gobert is. Very few players are. But, yes, I, I look at the Jazz as still having that weakness of what happens if they run into a team like the Clippers again and they go small ball. And I've been thinking about this a little bit. One solution is you just take Rudy Gobert out, you put Yudoka Azubuki in, and you feed him the ball in the post, and you watch him punish smaller players so they can't play small ball. See, the issue with Udoka, and I'm with you, he's shown some flashes. It's been fun to see him. He's obviously improved on his defensive game. You're mentioning the fact that he's been very dominant around the rim. There's one glaring issue in his game, and that is the free throw shooting. if, If he cannot improve his free throw shooting, he will be rendered essentially useless for extended minutes in the NBA, in my opinion. And it doesn't, that form on his free throws, just ugly. And I I don't mean to be rude about that. It's just it does not work the way he is currently operating, especially at the foul line. Because if if you put him in there and expect him to play extended minutes, you know exactly what an opposing team is going to do. It's going to become 
uh, what we it's it was always the hack a shack. Are we going to go with the foul doke? I don't know what, what term it would become, but he's going to be sent. He's going to parade himself to the free throw line, and opposing teams are going to live with that, considering they're going to expect at best he maybe shoots around fifty percent. If he wants to be an NBA player, a key rotation a rotation piece, he needs to improve on his free throw shooting. I do like what you're saying there, Eric, about like the thought of him punishing smaller players, all that stuff. It does sound nice in theory. I just worry that if you put him out there, teams are going to scheme for that. So I think the overall thing, overall takeaways that we should take from the summer league is this is an opportunity for guys like Juwan Morgan, Jarrell Brantley, Elijah Hughes, Udoka Azubuki, as well as Trent Forrest. Those are kind of the five guys that I've been tracking because they've been part of the Jazz rotation. Uh, they've also spent time with the Salt Lake City Stars, etc. Those are the five guys I've been kind of keeping an eye on because they are expected to comprise part of the Jazz roster this year. And the hope is that one or two of them begin to emerge. Kadok spend the rest of the offseason. I know that uh, preseason is officially going to start on October 4th for the Utah Jazz. So we are under two months away from that. And obviously training camps will open before that in September. Will he? Could he spend all that time working on his free throw ability and show improvement? Sure. I just don't expect, to, expect it to improve all that quickly. So very interesting, tantalizing prospect. Speaking of Doak, my worry is, though, that that free throw inability to make them at a high clip. And I am I know that there are people probably sitting there saying, well, Rudy Gobert's had his issues, Jake. Sure, Rudy Gobert has had his issues at the free throw line. But he has improved on it. And I'm with you, though, also, Eric, that uh, Doak isn't the same defensive force that Rudy is quite yet. But I do think there are building blocks to work with, with, with Uduka Azubuki he may not be quite ready this year, and obviously that is going to have some consternation for Jazz fans considering he was a first-round draft pick. But I do think that you're seeing some improvement from him. But the guy who's really impressed me in Summer League, and I, I kind of belaboring or burying the lead here, belaboring the point, is Trent Forrest. He just signed a, he just signed a new two-way deal with the Utah Jazz. What he has shown in Summer League is he is continuing to improve his game. What ultimately become where he becomes a backup point guard in the NBA? I don't know, but I've really enjoyed what I have seen from him. Have you had any uh, inclination what you've seen from him in these games? Yeah, I was uh, doing some reading, uh, uh, SLC Dunks, mm-hmm. great, great little blog uh, area that that has covered the summer league very, very well. I think um, I have not seen a ton of his highlights from these games. I think it's good to have depth at guard in the NBA, but I I think when he's healthy, Jared Butler is gonna be the third guy. Like I, I just I think that he he's gonna be kind of a guy behind and you can you, you just have so many options at point guard. We saw Donovan Mitchell handle the ball at point for points last season. We saw even Joe Ingles run the offensive points. We we've seen lots of different people play point sure. guard for the Utah Jazz. I feel like he's still going to be buried down the depth chart, but it's it's good that he's having a good summer league. Development's important. Yeah, development is important. That's what the biggest thing I, I I like what you said, your kind of first point. This is the summer league. We're talking about the NBA's version of a preseason, and even to a lesser degree, not even like the NFL preseason, because 
we're talking about, by and large, guys who are very early on in their careers. Uh, we're talking rookies, first or second year players. Very rarely do you see a veteran player playing in these games. So take from it what you will, but the good news is the Utah Jazz Summer League team is performing well. Will they capture the elusive or the mythical Summer League championship? That remains to be seen. But we will continue to track that, obviously, and we'll continue to bring you updates here on your radio, exclusive radio home of the Utah Jazz right here on the Zone Sports Network. All right, coming up next, we'll continue looking at fall camp. It sounds like Utah camp has just wrapped up, if my Twitter feed is to be believed. We just some updates out of there. Also coming up later on today's show, hoping to be uh, catching up with Brian Brown, who is actually up at Utah Availability today. We'll hear from him, get his thoughts on Utah Fall Camp, and hoping also to carry BYU uh, post-scrimmage audio live on air as well. So plenty still to get to right here on the Saturday show on the Zone Sports Network. The weekend. The weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope you all are doing great on this Saturday afternoon. And Eric, one thing we felt to note in this first uh, part of the show is the weather. It's quite warm, but you notice most of the smoke has been cleared out. That's the positive news out of all this because it was pretty nasty there for a few days. Yeah, I mean, nobody likes pollution. And that, that was crazy a few days ago when you could, like, smell it. I've never... N- never had that really. You never experienced that. Never, okay. never really experienced that. Maybe I just have terrible memory, but I just feel like that's the worst I've ever seen it. Well, it, it's it's bad. There's no doubt about that. And the th- funny thing about it was, is I had a family member who was convinced that there's got to be a fire somewhere in Utah. I'm like, credit to the state of Utah by and large this year, we've actually been very good as a populace here in the state of Utah in terms of our overall fire safety. I know we've had some uh, wildfires here inside our state. But by and large, most of that smoke has been coming from other states in the western uh, part of the country, California and Oregon to be particular. I know Nevada's had their issues as well. So I guess uh, in a way, a tip of the cap to the state of Utah and a little bit of a knocking on wood that we continue to have a good run here this summer because obviously we're dealing with drought conditions, all that stuff. But good news is the weather's great. So hope you all out there, wherever you might be listening in from, are doing fantastic. And by the way, we'd love for you guys to interact with the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob C. Hatch. You can weigh in with your thoughts on any topic we touch on today. We've talked already about Utah Jazz Summer League, in addition to fall camps, both BYU and Utah. Eric's uh, Twitter handle, correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric. I think I've got it finally memorized. Eric 18 Utah. That's it. Okay. And I'm assuming the 18s for uh, our good friend Peyton Manning. Is that right? That is it. Okay. Yes. You're obviously a Denver Broncos fan. So I was just making sure I got that right on that poll. And then also, you can also tweet at the station if you so desire at Zone Sports Net. Love hearing from you guys, getting your thoughts on everything going on. Let's talk for a minute, though, Eric. We're going to get to an interview here in a moment with Samson Nakua. I wanted to bring up another point about uh, both. Uh, well, extends to Utah a little bit, but it's more about BYU in the sense, because we're going to talk with Samson Nakua, the transfer from Utah to BYU playing wide receiver. I had a great chat with him earlier this week. But looking at BYU, 
you, I remember, this is probably, what, two weeks ago, you texted me and said, hey, Jake, uh, what are the two biggest question marks? I'm try, if, if, I'm, if I'm wrong in this, I'm doing this all off memory. You essentially text me and said, hey, I'm trying to read up on stuff about fall camp for both of these programs, and credit to you for being as studious as you were about it. But you asked me, what are the biggest question marks for BYU going into the season outside of quarterbacks? Am I representing your question yes. the right way? Yes. Okay, so it brings up a point here that I think extends to both BYU and Utah, and it goes to the offensive line. And what I talked about when I texted you back and said offensive tackle is the big question for BYU. We all know that the quarterback battle at BYU is three three guys strong. You obviously have Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, and Jacob Conover who are battling for that opportunity to be QB1 in Provo. Well, a quarterback is only as, is as good as his offensive line allows him to be. BYU got very, very good offensive line play last year. You can look at that evidenced by those guys, the four guys who left the program in the offseason. All four of them got opportunities in the NFL. You have Tristan Hodge with the New York Jets. You got Chandon Herring with the Tennessee Titans. You have uh, Brady Christensen, who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. And I'm forgetting the fourth name here, so apologies for that. But regardless, they got very good offensive line play, and that allowed a guy like Zach Wilson to have all the time in the world to make plays on the field. Well, their offensive tackles, who were both at left tackles, Brady Christensen a year ago, and Chandon Herring for most of the season at right tackle, have both moved on to the NFL. Now BYU has to go about finding the replacements for those guys. I think the Cougars have ready-made replacements at both left and right tackle, in Blake Freeland at left tackle, the former Harriman Mustang, and funny enough, his former high school teammate, Harris Lachance, also from Harriman, is now the right tackle for BYU. But beyond that, massive question mark for BYU in terms of their depth at tackle. You have an injury at either one of those positions, right or left tackle, and I think that's going to hurt BYU's offensive line. And we'll see if they can overcome that, obviously. But I do think that also extends itself up to Utah. Offensive line play last year was okay it wasn't great but it did not afford the quarterbacks to have the time that a guy like Zach Wilson had at BYU a year ago so Eric everything that we look at here in fall camp is obviously how these position battles are playing out I am encouraged up at Utah though that a guy like Bamadele Olasini he's been kind of the the big talking point on Utah's offensive line that he is starting to progress I saw him uh, come into the media room the other day and I'm like You are just one gigantic human being. If he can put it together, he's going to be a stalwart tackle for Utah, and I think it's going to add to their depth. Because they already have Nick Ford, I think is going to be well-established at that center position. I think both their guard spots are pretty good. But the tackle spots for Utah and also at BYU are a question mark. You know as well as anybody that tackles in the NFL are the highest-paid offensive linemen for very good reason because they have to take on the very best athletes on the field on a a play-to-play basis. Do you have concern or are you confident in either BYU or Utah's ability to find the solutions they need on the edges on their offensive line? Yes, I think the coaching staffs are geared to have that happen. And if I'm not mistaken, Kyle Whittingham told somebody this offseason that he thought this was the best offensive line he's had in his tenure at Utah. He did make he did make comments to that effect. Uh, the question is, will they live up to that billing? Because I like guys on Utah's offensive line. Like I already mentioned, Bam Olaseni, he's got every physical tool you can see. You can just you, you watch him walk in the room and you're like, 
you are the prototype for offensive tackles. Tall, long, nice uh, frame to work with, all that stuff. Jaron Kump, same type of a deal, but there have been some injury concerns early on with Jaron Kump and his ability maybe to play game one or early part of the season. So I just have concerns that both of these programs face a similar question in terms of just being able to protect the edges, that blind side of those quarterbacks, and make sure that they stay clean. If they, as you mentioned, find the answers to those positions, well, I think whoever ends up winning these quarterback battles should be able to rest a little bit easier at night knowing that their blind side is going to be okay. They're not going to have some pass rusher getting them on a strip sack or trying to take their head off on any given play. Yeah, and I I think I could be totally wrong. I'm not an offensive line expert. But I think that it is so important to have those, you know, tackle spots lined up because – if, if your interior's a little so-so, at least you can have the pressure sneak through there and allow your quarterback to be able to roll out and kind of... Sure, do, they, they can... Well, they see that coming easier yeah, than a guy coming off the edge. Use movement, but the edge is just so important to uh, protect. But like I said, you know, I, I am generally an offensive line idiot. I, <laughs> I am... I, I, hey, I mean, that's a drop you need to pull I, right I, now. I mean, I, I just... I, I am not... I'm just generally not that smart about it, and you know I, I'm, you know I'm not Hans Olsen. Like he knows like way sure. more than me, and I'm certainly not Kalani Sataki or Kyle Whittingham. It sounds like Kyle Whittingham's really, really confident in his group. He was a defensive player. Mm-hmm. I trust his thousands of light years of knowledge over my pea-sized brain well um, let's be honest anybody listening to us on the radio should trust those guys over yeah. us so I, I i trust those guys i i i am never going to give you anything in depth about the offensive line okay i'm going to point and i'm going to say mm, yeah pretty good and i mean i think sacks are a quarterback stat i i think if you're getting sacked a lot it's because you're holding on to the ball too long so uh i uh but, you know, it's important. I, I certainly don't want to come off as, you know, it's it's not important. I just I trust what they are telling me up at those those camps as far as the offensive line goes. Neither of us are watching practice. So we really don't know till week one and you know, I you know, I trust Kalani Sataki and I trust Kyle Whittingham and usually those lines at both those respective institutions are pretty good. I can't think of a year where the offensive line was well in recent memory, BYU's has been better. If you go back five years, it was an absolute mess. Right, but in in recent memory, within the last two to three years, that's sure. kind of my frame of where you're looking. And, you know, to me, I uh, as I pulled up their depth chart here, the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause about BYU's offensive line is something you told me a while back. The key to college football is being old. Well, yeah, you want to get old and stay old. Both Harris Lachance and Clark Barrington are sophomores. But both have served missions for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're both 23 years old at this point. Okay, so so now we have to change the conversation. <laughs> so you, you mean old as in old, old. You don't mean, like, it doesn't... You, does want, it, you want upperclassmen... Not, Sure. Okay, and I know what you're saying here because you want upperclassmen in these positions. COVID also wrecked any notion of an upperclassman right now because okay. all of the eligibility for these athletes was frozen. A guy like Blake Freeland, I think he's a freshman for the third straight year at BYU. Maybe a sophomore, but 
the the whole idea that you could have redshirt freshmen play the 2020 season, the redshirt freshmen once again this year, I, the whole upperclassmen thing has been thrown a little bit into whack. You want older players, sure, both in eligibility, but also older players if you can afford it and get the same level of play out of guys who got a little more life experience, especially along the offensive line. Guys' bodies mature at different points, and offensive linemen, well, sometimes they need some time to grow into that frame because a lot of them have bl- been blessed with these frames that are absolutely expansive. The biggest question is, okay, are they going to find the right answer for that? So, yeah, so it's just a very interesting debate, and we'll continue to explore it. We're going to be plenty of conversations in the lead-up to the season, but I want to get to an interview now. I had a chance to catch up with Samson Nakua. He obviously a, a transfer from the University of Utah to BYU with his brother Puka, playing wide receiver for the Cougars. Had a great chat with him about making the transition, how everything's going for him. So here you go, Puka Nakua with myself right here on the Saturday Show. First things first, you're wearing blue. I know it's a different feeling. Uh, I, I feel different in it too, man. I just feel uh, I don't know. It's, it's different. It's, being in blue is way different. You know, I've been in red all my years, but you know, I like the color change up. You know, feels good. I remember interviewing you probably three or four years ago when you were up at up on the hill at the U. Yeah. Had crazy colored hair. It was long, and I remember talking to you like, you "No, know this is how I express myself." Yeah. So, <laughs> what are you doing to express yourself down here? Man, I'm keeping it the same, man. There ain't no switch up on me. You know, wherever I go, I'm here to bring myself. You know, I'm here to be the same. So it, it's gonna something's gonna happen. They might just have to wait till game time to see. You know, I might not let it show a little early. I might have to wait till game time and surprise everybody. <laughs> well, how how's this transition been overall? Oh, it's been good. Um, especially to have the little brother here with me. Um, it's been way good. <laughs> it's been good. The teammates been, uh, you know, opened me, uh, welcomed me with open arms. Uh, me and my little brother. The coaching staff's been really cool. Um, um, we got a new locker room too. It's been a, it's been a really good experience of uh, switching over. Um, and the guys have just been really helping, honestly. Obviously, you're coming in from Utah, and then Puka came down from Washington. I know you just talked about the family situation, brought you guys back down here. But have you guys felt like, okay, hey, you know what? Maybe we should have been here all along. Um, you know, there is that feeling a little bit that we should have been here all along because, you know, it does feel so right being back home, honestly. But um, I think, you know, looking back as I'm older, the journey was supposed to happen the way it happened, honestly. Uh, Puka was supposed to go his own path for a little bit, me, my ways for a little bit. And uh, I think the timing of it's all on God's timing, and uh, it's just perfect the way it all happened. So... Can you explain to me, so you have a skill set, obviously, as a wide receiver. Everything everybody looks at a receiver and says, okay, they all have, no, there's very much different skill sets. How does yours differ from your brother's? Um, Puka's a more aggressive in speed and uh, the perfectionist type. Um, I'm more of a free freelance, get open, uh, find the hole guy. Puka's uh, straight to the tee. You want to come back, he's running straight down the stem, you know, coming down perfect route, everything. I'm more of like, you know, I'm going to run that stem, but also find a wide open hole. I, uh, you know, uh, me and Puka are just too different. Puka's just that straight to, down to the tee guy. I'm the more freelance, you know, find the open hole. So he's the technician. You're yeah. more of the, I'm going to sit down in the zone and get, just kill you. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, avoid any contact in a man-to-man route and then still try to find an open hole <laughs> within us. I, I get that. So what's it been like working with Fessy Satake? Oh, it's been nice. It's a uh, big switch up from Coach Guy Holiday. Um, we work a lot of technique here and stuff. Um, we did a lot up to you too, but it's just different. Coach uh, teaches us a lot on our uh, finesse releases of just a, a good hop skip or something, uh, something different to add into our repertoire instead of doing repetitive stuff. And uh, it's nice to get uh, a little switch up in my uh, in my bag. What are your assessment of the other receivers? I know like Neil's coming back, Gunner's coming back for another year. But what's your assessment of the other guys in the group? Oh, everyone's a playmaker. Um, at the end of the day, um, 
you're not brought here to BYU football just to, you know, be an average guy. If you're on this team with us, especially our receiver room, um, they're all playmakers. And uh, if you've seen these past three, four days of camp, everyone, the ball's being spread to everybody and everyone's making the play out here. It's not just one guy, not just one, uh, one rotation, it's not just the two rotations. Even the threes are coming out to make plays. And uh, it's nice to see that there's no drop-off at all. Is there a guy that people may not know that's been sending out to you so far? Um, I think there's a lot of guys, honestly. Um, a lot of our slots are uh, smaller slots. Um, little Britain Cubbies, honestly. They okay. just haven't gotten the chance because of us bigger guys, but you give them the opportunity. They've been making a lot of plays. Um, even some of the, the wideouts that are um, um, that are younger behind some of the senior classes. Um, honestly, the whole group is making big plays. It's just going to be fun to see everyone play. I'm not going to ask you to pick your favorite in the quarterback battle, so don't, don't get me wrong with this, but can you just assess how they've looked, all three of the, all three of the guys so far? Um, honestly, they've all been in this offense for a while, so it's like it seems like they all got it down to a T right now. Now they're just helping out the guys that need to that they need to bring along. And honestly, all three of them have been great leaders and have been throwing the ball excellent. They've all probably shared uh, the same amount of mistakes, um, but honestly, all of them are looking good. And there's really any any three of them could go down and the, the backup could kill it just as a starter. So it's uh, there's no drop-off at all. Who's got the strongest arm? Ooh, it's between Conover and uh, uh, Romney, honestly. Um, really? Jaron's number three? Jaron's got a nice arm. It's hard to tell, honestly, because he doesn't like to throw a lot of heat on it, but okay. I feel like if he wants to, he really could. So I haven't really got to see him, like, show out his arm yet. Okay. So, like... Until, like, probably we get to a scrimmage, then he'll probably start slinging that thing. But right now, I've only seen between Baylor and uh, 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 Baylor and uh, Conover. I was going to say, he's a baseball player. He's yeah, that's what I'm saying. I know he's got a good arm because I've seen him dart. There was one of the plays he dropped uh, the snap and picked it up and turned around and slung that thing. Okay. And I was like, what the heck was that? <laughs> but I haven't got to really see him unlo- uh, unload on the deep ball yet, so we'll see you in waiting. All right, my last thing for you is, okay, the number 45 is a unique number for a receiver in particular. Yeah. Why the number 45? Um, everyone asked me this question. Um, you know, it was a big uh, family thing right here. It's just uh, my dad always wanted my siblings to come here and play together, and uh, me and Puga finally got the opportunity. And uh, my dad passed away at the age 45. So, you know, I've kept that number since I got up at Utah. I started that and just been repping this number. And I've, uh, I liked it, honestly. I feel like it fits me perfectly. <laughs> unique number for unique dude, right? Yes, sir. You already know. <laughs> Puka, you're the man. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. You have a good one. There you go, Puka Nakua. And I honestly did not know why he wore the number 45. I always thought it was a unique number, but obviously paying tribute to his late father. It's actually a really touching cool story. Tribute. Yeah. yeah. I like, honestly, I, and he said he's talked to people about it. I just must have missed it along the way there. But thank you once again to uh, Puka, uh, not Puka, Samson Nakua for taking the time to speak with me. Apologies for that screw up there, but great stuff all the same. All right, coming up on the other side, we may get technical fouls. We may have some BYU media availability. Stay tuned and find out. This is the Saturday Show. Breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. And if you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Because that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. 
Forbes Lyle, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show. We would be doing technical fouls here, but we're actually going to just hop out to BYU football media availability. BYU offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick sitting down with the media. Here you go. Um, but, you know, I need to talk to our quarterbacks before I start talking to you guys about all that. So, um, and I want to watch the film too before I, just to confirm that, you know, what I'm seeing is what I'm really seeing. So, um, but all three of them did some good things today. And, um, you know, I know, I know that's a, that's a, that's a boring answer for you guys, but they're playing, they're playing good. We've got a good group. And, um, I will say this when, when Jaron, Jaron and Baylor look like veteran QBs, they run our offense efficiently. And then Conover is just a guy he's got, he's got his moments where he's just like, you know, he's, I, I don't like to compare anybody to anybody, but he's a young, it's almost like Zach when he was young, he's some of the plays he makes are really big plays. And then some of the mistakes he makes are just young, young mistakes. They're just, they're things that get uh, fixed with time. And so, but the upside's really high. And so he's an intriguing dude, man. He's a good player. And so it's, it's just fun having those, uh, you know, the contrast there of the two veterans that really know what they're doing and run the show with the with the young guy that's that's got a super bright future that uh, is really explosive kid. Coach, what are you most satisfied with through uh, seven practices, one scrimmage under your belt as the offense coordinator? Um, I'm never satisfied, so I, I, I don't I can't really say what I'm satisfied with. I just I think we're on track to being to being good. OK, we're uh, I don't think we're I don't think we're way ahead of where we where we were a year ago. I don't think we're way behind. I think we're right on track. Our most of our install is in. Um, we are 95 percent of our offense is in. Um, and, and now we've sort of identified who our best players are. And, you know, the next week or so will be fine-tuning things where we're thinking more, more about getting the ball to the right people in the right places. You know, up to this point, we've installed the offense. We've just been running plays, learning the concepts, learning their assignments, everybody learning what we do. And now as we get deeper into camp, we'll start featuring our best players doing the things that they do best. Okay, let's go Norma and then Sean. So the quarterback position battle aside, what can you tell us about the other position battles, the backs, the wideouts? What do you see from all these guys where you just have so much depth? Miles Davis, that guy is a good player and he's going to play for us. That's that's one I'll tell you, uh, just needs to be said. That guy stands out every time he plays, he does something good. Same thing happened last year as a freshman, he'd get in games and he was playing at a different speed than everybody else. And um, He's, he does something good every day. Um, you know, I can't say enough good things about our three tight ends, uh, Dallin Holker and, and Isaac Rex and, and Mason Wake. Those three guys are playing really well. And then we've got a couple other young guys that are doing good things too. Uh, you know, Carter Weed and, and, and Bentley uh, Hanshaw are playing well. But those top three guys are really standing out and it gives us a lot of flexibility. We can do some fun things with those guys. And... Um, yeah, those are those would be some of the ones, the, some of those position battle type things that are looking good. This kind of falls in line a little bit with this coach, but maybe maybe just by way of follow up, when you look at the overall depth chart and and as you're kind of putting together the two deep in your head, are are a lot of your 
are a lot of your kind of early thinking sort of solidified or are you also seeing things that are maybe surprising you in some ways where you go, oh, I, I didn't expect that, but I need to move this guy further up or that guy further up, or I don't know how spe- specific you want to be, but are you just kind of reconfirming yeah. to yourself, I guess, or, or are you seeing a lot of surprises too? Um, no major surprises. Um, I, you know, and sometimes the skill players have to understand that you're not just competing against the other guy in your position group. You know, in this offense, we can play with a lot of different position groups. So what you're really doing every day is just trying to prove that you can be trusted to do your job well. And then we can play in a lot of different personnel groups. And that's that's part of this offense is we want to we want to put different groupings on the field and see how teams try to defend us. And and, um, you know, one game to the next, we might find a a different advantage over another team in, in, in a different group. But in order to do that, we need a lot of guys that. Can, that we can trust. So if I'm the third or fourth tight end, I'm I'm not just trying to I'm not just trying to be the next best tight end. I'm also trying to prove that I'm more trustworthy than the fourth or fifth receiver or the or the third running back or whatever. And so uh, I guess one of the things I've been pleased with up to this point is we have some personnel group versatility which allows us to have some fun with with uh with our offense. You know, we we kind of do a lot of the same things over and over, but we we mix up who's on the field. And I also think that helps the team morale too, because you're always, you're always, you know, you're always got a chance to play. If we can, you know, we might have two tight ends on the field. We might have three, we might have four receivers on the field. Uh, we do a lot of, a lot of fun things with those guys. And, and uh, it's, it's good to have good skill players to work with. Coach, okay. Last uh, question, Ben. Yeah. Uh, coach uh, this, uh, this defense, statistically over the last five years is, has done a pretty good dang good job um, every single year. What challenges does this defense pose schematically? And then um, in, in this particular team, personnel wise, what do you like about this defense that Elisa Tuiaki runs? Uh, yeah, our defense has always been, has been really good the whole time I've been here and they're even better now than they've ever been. Um, our linebackers are, really good players. I mean, uh, Coach Funk made the comment the other day that he, he, he felt like our backers were as good as any of the, that he played against in the Big Ten. I mean, he said that's what it reminded him of is a, that type of linebacker crew when he was at Michigan. Um, they're, they're good, and um, our defensive line is physical, and they're deep. They just keep rolling big guys out there that just that just uh, play really tough. And then, and then this is the most secondary depth I've seen our team have in the time that I've been here as well. So, um, but you know what's tough about it is that they can stop the run. You know, I know a lot of people criticize this, but our team can rush three guys that play a three-man front, and drop eight, and they can stop the run in that defense and still make it really hard for you to throw. You know, we're a team that wants to throw the ball down the field, and it's hard to do that in practice. They're just there's they're good back there, and they're they're uh, they're doing a lot of good stuff. They they got good players and really solid scheme, and they're well coached and tough, and they fly around and run to the ball, and it's. It's a challenge every day. Okay, I'm gonna uh, say you're done, Coach Roderick. Jacob, I'll let you have the next question. Thanks, Coach Roderick. Yep. There you go, Aaron Roderick, BYU offensive coordinator. Some interesting thoughts from him saying that the picture is getting clearer, but not ready to name a starting quarterback quite yet. And I didn't expect him necessarily to show up today and be like, so and so is our starting quarterback. But, you know, 
the hope is at some point that they will reveal who the starter will be. I'm expecting we'll find out the starter game one when they trot out there against the University of Arizona. All right, coming up on the other side, we will get to Kalani Satake's media session. He wrapped up just before Aaron Roderick went on. And, of course, we'll continue to keep you covered on everything going on with the Utes and the Cougars throughout the rest of the afternoon. This is the Saturday Show right here on the Zone Sports Network.